Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We asked you to exit the echo chamber and share your experiences. And we were blown away by your responses. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome back from Thanksgiving break, everybody. We're going to talk about exiting the echo chamber in the suit. But before we get started, please leave us an iTunes review. If you haven't already, it helps new people find the show. Um, you can also become a supporter of the show on pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, either by leaving a one-time donation or by becoming a regular supporter of the show for as little as $5 a month. And it helps us cover the cost of bringing Pantsuit Politics to you. I'm not sure where to start today in the pearls because... The news did not take a Thanksgiving holiday. Maybe we can begin with the recount effort led by Jill Stein and now joined in by the Clinton campaign. Sarah, I'm just wondering where you are on this. By this point, I think our listeners are going to be very familiar with the facts of what's happening. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are on this. So I have chosen to use the law of attraction to create a headline in my mind that I am envisioning and dedicating all my mental energy to. And the headline goes like this. Electoral College elects Clinton after fraud discovered in recount. Join me, everyone in the Pantsu Politics universe, in envisioning this headline. I'm just repeating it to myself. Every additional inane thing this man does, I just keep repeating that headline to myself. That's what I'm doing. That's where I'm at. The law of attraction. Well, I'll give you a you do you on that. Um, <laughs> and I, I understand oh. that. It's, it has not been an encouraging period of time since the election. And I readily admit that. 
I just feel I, I personally sat here and criticized Donald Trump for talking about not accepting the results of the election after the second debate. And I just can't bring myself to say, well, I don't like the way this turned out. And I think that what he's doing is wrong and scary. And so I'm going to change how I feel about accepting the results of an election. It's I just feel very hypocritical about that. I am uh, my additional energy into the law of attraction is caused by how he's acting after the election. But I, um, after reading additional reports of Russia's um, perpetuating fake news site of Russia being involved in the WikiLeaks. I've also had a friend of the Foreign Service sort of direct me toward these service these stories about how Russia has been openly harassing U.S. diplomats. I'm talking breaking into their homes, shitting on their floors, drugging them. I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy things. Um, I am now concerned that Russia was involved in some sort of. I mean. Why if they why would they stop? Why if they would go to all these lengths to undermine the faith in our democracy and to punish Hillary Clinton and try to put Donald Trump into the White House? Why would they stop on election day? And if he had won the popular vote, maybe it would seem like some sort of reaching um you know undermine the faith of the, the 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 will of the people situation. But you have a lot of factors here now that are that are extraordinary and a two million person win in the popular vote, foreign interference in the election, all these things and I I don't know. I don't I don't know if it's just it's well let me just say it's for me anymore, it's not just about I think Donald Trump is dangerous as president and his short time as president-elect has not given me any additional faith that he is prepared to do the role. But I don't, there's other things beyond that for me. What's what I struggle with on no question, Russia has interfered in this election in some ways. No question that Russia is uniquely dangerous, I think, right now in the world. It is really difficult for me to understand how Russia would have known precisely which counties in the Rust Belt to interfere in the election. We don't have a universal system for voting. I I don't see how Russia would have pulled off this type of interference in this way to get the math to work out in Donald Trump's favor. Had there been voter fraud on that scale, I think we would have had Donald Trump winning the popular vote as well. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying that it's completely out of the question, but it seems so unlikely to me. And it seems like an effort that is so far reaching and so at odds with what we have been preaching for weeks about respecting the results of an election. And honestly, here's my long-term concern, and this is divorced from the facts of the day, nothing to do with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Jill Stein or anyone else. I want to understand how we are going to ever have an election again where we think that it was a legitimate election. Does that mean that we, you know, I had this conversation with some of our listeners on Twitter. Does that mean that we need a universal system and a huge investment in cybersecurity around it? Does it mean we go in the opposite direction? Does it mean that we need even more state and local control over elections or less? I mean, I think there are some very big questions that we need to ask ourselves about our electoral process, given that we're we're having situation after situation now where we're all questioning the legitimacy of the results. Well, I think that um, two things. One, I think that the Americans' faith in the democracy is hardier than so we sometimes give it credit for because, again, the Supreme Court handed the presidency to George W. Bush and we all got over it. But I think that with I just wish that this stuff, the fake news sites, what I'm finding myself so frustrated about right now, and maybe I'm channeling that frustration into a recount. I mean, I don't think it's out of the ordinary that Russia would know how to do that. Nate Silvers wrote an article explaining exactly how this could happen. This is how Hillary Clinton could win the popular vote and George and um, Al, uh, Donald Trump could win 
the Electoral College, so they could have just followed that article. Um, they're pretty smart on the Americans. I mean, it's sort of based on reality um, in the 80s, and they didn't even have the internet then. So, I, I mean, I think that they could have most certainly finished. Russians are smart. Um, I just what bothers me right now is that, you know, the media – like all this stuff about the fake news. Why weren't we talking about this beforehand? Why weren't we talking about the the fake news sites and why? I mean, there was like a, I remember the New York Times going after Facebook just a, like maybe a week or two before the election on, you can stop this, you should. Um, it just bothers me so much that that has become such a push after the election, after the damage is done and Russia's role in the meet and, you know, in covering this and, and trying to influence the result. And that got, you know, that got media play, but, you know, I'm so glad we spent so much time on her emails that were clearly important because they have disappeared off the planet earth since he's won. But these things that when we're playing a real role in how our election went was just, only after the damage is done can we all seriously consider how important they were. It just really bugs me. I feel that way about everything. I, I feel that way about the fact that a lot of the news right now is around Kellyanne Conway doing some very weird things by kind of taking on Mitt Romney when the Assad regime has made progress in taking Aleppo, right? Fidel Castro has passed away, and we're more concerned about what Justin Trudeau said about that than about what might happen in Cuba after Fidel Castro's passing. I mean, there are a lot of really difficult stories going on in the world, including the conflicts of interest of the Trump administration, which are covered at a really superficial level, but not the kind of depth that needs to be understood by the American public, I think, if we are to hold this administration accountable. I think that we got a reality TV election because we got reality TV election coverage, and that's what we're continuing to get post-election. And it's really frustrating. Well, I will push back on that ever so slightly because I read this thing about the fake news situation and the guy was like, reward good journalism, read the New York Times, subscribe to the New York Times, read the Washington Post, subscribe to the Washington Post. He's like, don't ever click the fake news sites, even just out of curiosity about what, like, don't ever give them a single clip because they make money. There was a couple really good write-ups about the people behind these websites and by good, I mean incredibly depressing. And the third one, he was like, never watch cable news ever, 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 never. And I really feel like that's where the terrible coverage is. The New York Times just did a mind-blowing, six-person byline, incredibly in-depth coverage of Donald Trump's business conflicts. Amazing piece. I mean, amazing if you want to just become incredibly frustrated by the fact that this man thinks he's going to continue to run his business while in profit from it as president of the United States. Um but they did a really, really in-depth, great, there's been really great in-depth journalism, but it is not ever going to be found on cable news. I don't know why cable news exists. I hate it. I don't watch it. I mean, like, there's a lot of times that stories will come up and I'll have no idea what people will t- are talking about. Like, this Kellyanne Conway stuff, you know, like, I don't see that where I read news. I don't get alerted to that where I'm trying to follow news. Like, I just think cable news is the devil. Well, cable news is not doing anybody any service right now, but it is unrealistic to think that every American can or will read the New York Times and the Washington Post. We must get good, credible journalism in accessible formats for everybody. And that's that's a struggle. I mean, I, I wish we all read the New York Times, too. I think they did a remarkable job during the election. There are moments when I really disagreed with them and disagreed with their editorial choices, but they certainly invest in going after the story. It's just not everybody can sit down and read that, you know, and and we've got to find a way if we want good, healthy discussions during our elections, we have to find multiple channels to get that news to people. And some of those channels have to be the fast kind of social media formats, but there there's a whole world of people who aren't tuning into any of this, right? They're not part of the cable news cycle. They're not part of the New York Times discussion. They're not part of the Facebook fake news stories. They're just living their lives. And I think that's one of my wishes coming out of this election. How do we all get more engaged on whatever terms we can be engaged on? And how can we get credible sources to people at that level? I agree. 
<laughs> well, so let's talk about um, Donald Trump's tweets then, because he is prickly about this recount effort and went on a tweet storm on Sunday. I guess tweet storm is probably a little Ugh. strong. It was just a few tweets. but Evan he, McMullen went on a tweet storm. Thank you very he much. He did. He did. And I thought he his tweet storm was well done. Mm-hmm. Um but Donald Trump was talking about how if you if you want to recount in this election, you cannot ignore the voter fraud that he says led him to lose the popular vote. And he singled out some specific states, Virginia, New Hampshire. It's really odd strategy when you want an election to question the results of the election, in my view. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of feel like the tweet is like, okay, good, then we really need the recount. Let's put, let's do it. Let's, let's just do it again. If you are the president elect and you think that there was millions of people engaged in illegal voting, maybe we should just vote again. Let's just yeah. do that. Actually. He used the word millions. I don't understand it. I, yeah, I let's really. Let's just vote again. That's what we should do. It's been a weird couple of days. And I am with the, this, the camp that says, let's just try to move forward and do the best we can here. But I, I understand people getting wrapped up in the recount because it, it has not been encouraging. Should we talk about his latest appointments before we move on to other news? Sure. So <laughs> so one appointment that I'm happy about, Donald Trump has appointed Nikki Haley to be the U.N. ambassador. And while she is not a deep well of foreign policy experience, I do think that she is a person in whom I have confidence, and that's the standard that I'm applying to cabinet appointments at this point. You know, yeah, she's I a think person she doesn't have, have even much as a little sidewalk puddle of foreign policy experience, but she's smart and she's capable. And at this point, that's high praise for a Trump appointee. Well, she's smart. She's capable. This is the kind of party building that we talked about on our last episode that you would hope a president would do. You know, this. This fills out her resume for national leadership at some point, if that's the direction she goes. I do think that she has done good work in bringing parties together over really difficult issues in South Carolina. It's going to be interesting to watch South Carolina politics from here. Uh, The lieutenant governor will move up, and he is seen, I think by most folks, as not a huge departure in terms of policy from Nikki Haley, but a very different style. And then there's this interesting twist that I guess South Carolina law does not require them to have a new lieutenant governor. So that'll be interesting to watch unfold. South Carolina. The Carolinas <laughs> are a hot mess. North Carolina needs to get it together. Sorry. I, I do think that that's another instance where we just need to accept the result of the election and <sighs> move on. Uh, Trump also appointed Betsy DeVos, a longtime activist and really kind of party insider to the Secretary of Education post. I think that we probably do need to do a primer on all of these appointments, especially the lesser known people, because she's got a lot of depth and history that would, I think, encourage people and discourage people, right? Yeah. She she has a lot of money. She has no public school experience. She has done a lot I mean, of just say that again, though. That's choice. crazy, right? No public school experience. Didn't send her kids to public school, has never worked in a public school, has no education. I mean, like, that is so concerning to put somebody in charge of running the Secretary of Education, the public education system, no public education experience. I definitely would have preferred Michelle Rhee in this seat, and I've read some interesting articles about why this tilted this way, and maybe we can get into that at another time. I think that... There is there is a healthy disruption that needs to happen in public education. I am concerned that she does not have any public education experience. I can just feel I can feel all my public, you know, my family. My mother is a public school librarian. My grandmother was a public school counselor and teacher. My great aunt was a public school teacher. My other great aunt was a public school teacher. I have a lot of public school teachers in my family and in my um, life, and I can hear them all rolling their eyes. I know. My mom taught public school as well, and I we didn't talk about this over Thanksgiving. We stayed blissfully free of news and politics, but I, I mean, I have, I, I don't, I struggle with this too. Do I think this is the worst choice he's made? I don't. That would be hard. So let's talk about the overtime rule, switching gears. The Department of Labor through administrative mechanisms, 
determined that by December 1st, the threshold for the Fair Labor Standards Act exemption was going to change. So when you think about exempt versus non-exempt employees, you're basically talking about whether a company has to pay overtime if you work beyond 40 hours a week. If you are non-exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act, the company must pay you overtime after 40 hours. If you are exempt, it does not have to. It's an interesting thing if you work in organizations that tackle these issues a lot. Uh, For example, in my organization, a lot of people want to be exempt, even though they don't get the overtime pay, because there's a little bit more flexibility and professionalism. It's sort of a status thing, right? You, Mm -hmm. You feel like, I don't want to punch a time clock. So there are a lot of competing dynamics around this. It's not as simple as you're getting screwed on your overtime or not. So it was a very disruptive thing for businesses to plan when the Department of Labor said that it was making this shift. Well, now a federal judge has has issued a preliminary injunction saying these rules cannot go into effect yet. We need to hear more. And that's another very disruptive thing because a lot of businesses now were in the mode of getting ready to make this change. So I thought it would be interesting to get your perspective on this, Sarah. I I probably have a different take just because I'm sort of in the weeds of who's exempt, who's non-exempt, how do we do this mechanically. So I thought it would be good to kind of zoom out to maybe somebody who's not as close to it to inform my thinking better. Yeah, I don't have any real perspective because I don't deal with this at all. I mean, I'm a freelancer. So I know that my husband is exempt, non-exempt. Exempt, exempt. Yes. yes. Yeah, the lawyers are exempt. Lawyers of the world yeah. are exempt. Professionals are, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, there is like a sort of a status to it. And a, um, But I thought this rule had been in place for a while. I don't understand why all of a sudden they're saying, and what do they need more information about? Well, I think that part of, it's, it's, it's interesting because my understanding of how this unfolded judicially is that a group of state attorney generals got together to challenge whether the Department of Labor has the authority to impose this requirement on states. The preliminary injunction went farther than just states, though, and said, we're going to put the brakes on this as to private entities, nonprofits, and states. Mm. So um, I I think that there is a real question. And, and in my mind, here's the question. I don't really care how this unfolds, ultimately. Not that I don't care, but I think reasonable minds can differ This is just a judgment call, ultimately. But I think it should have been passed by our Congress instead of decided administratively, because I think the effect of it is very, very broad. I think a phased-in approach probably would have been better. I do think that there are worker considerations beyond just, am I getting paid overtime or not, that probably weren't taken into account in this process. So... There's an authority question as to states. There's probably also an authority question as to whether this could this exceeded the authority of the bureaucracy versus our elected officials. Hmm. Well, I have another labor uh, adjacent concern. Did you see that the um, House passed? Um, I think it was just a part of another bill. Um, a right or two overturned the um, discrimination prohibition for federal contractors against sexual orientation no i did not see that yeah to to shouts of shame from democratic house members um i'm concerned that i'm already seeing some kentucky is in discussions now that they have republicans have all control of all the um, branches to pass religious liberty law here um and they've all returned because president obama signed the executive order prohibiting federal um contractors from discriminating based on sexual orientation and now the house is trying to overturn that like i mean i'm just so concerned i'm so confused by the republican party like i mean i'm not i know what you say but i don't think they think that like i just feel like you're so right like if they want to change the narrative especially after such a hate-filled election going after gay people is not the way to do it it's not going after any of these social issues is not the way to do it There is an opportunity for Republicans right now in Kentucky, particularly, and on the national scale, to tackle the hard issues that are at the core of what some of us in the Republican Party think is good governance, right? In Kentucky, we have a fiscal crisis that needs management, and our now Republican-controlled Congress could tackle that issue. 
why they would spend one second on bathrooms and religious liberty and marriage equality. I don't know. I don't know why they would spend any time on that. Get to work on the hard stuff that is the reason we say we want to govern. And I I think the same thing on the national scale. I mean, that's disappointing news. I don't know anything about it and we'll certainly investigate, but I can't imagine finding anything that would change my mind to say that that's disappointing and awful and not what we should be doing as a party. And this is a make or break moment, I think, because I thought the Republican Party was dead before the election. I still kind of think it is because I don't think that we will get it together enough to be a party of the future. I mean, this might just be a last hurrah. I don't see a party that focuses on this kind of stuff moving forward long term. I really don't. Well, and I should give a shout out. We'll move in to compliment the other side that there were um, several Republicans, Susan Brooks from Indiana, Rodney Davis of Illinois, Adam Kingzinger of Illinois, Luke Messon. Messer of Indiana, James Renassi of Ohio, Tom Marini of Florida, and Tanya Young of Indiana. They um, flipped and voted yes on the Maloney Amendment after voting no on it the first time. So there were several that um, flipped and supported the anti-discrimination amendment before. Like, so there was, a, there was a smidgen of bipartisanship, I guess is what I'm trying to say, in preventing this discrimination. So my compliment for the other side this week goes to Harold Ford Jr., who is rumored to be under consideration for a cabinet post in the Trump administration. He is a Democrat from Tennessee. He does spend a lot of time on uh, MSNBC, so that's how I know a little bit about his demeanor and personality. I think he would be a great choice. I really like the idea of a bipartisan cabinet. I think that Harold Ford Jr. is a particularly reasonable and pragmatic person. Transportation seems like a nice fit to me. I could see him, you know, being from a place like Tennessee, having a good perspective on a lot of the infrastructure challenges that face the country. He also has some good private sector experience. So I can I think that he could work through the public private partnership aspect of infrastructure change. So I, I like that option. I hope that that happens. I don't know that it will. I listened to Olivier Knox talking to another reporter over the weekend about how a lot of stories right now are like, senior Trump official says that so-and-so is being considered for post and the senior Trump official and -and so-and-so are the same person. (laughs) I'm not saying that Harold Ford Jr. is doing that. I don't think he is at all, but I do think there's a lot of that going on. And so I'm not getting too worked up about anything until it comes out given how suspect the reporting has been. I feel like we need to say something about Castro's death before we get into the suit, um, just to acknowledge. My friend, friend, Minnie Figueredo, who is Cuban, said, if you are not Cuban or the child children of Cuban immigrants, I don't want to hear your thoughts on Castro's death. So I have that that status ringing in my ear. I think that's really fair. And, And honestly, that is all I had in mind to say, that I, I don't understand not being deferential to that perspective here in the United States. We, we've got a lot of people making weird statements about Castro right now. And to me, I'd, I don't usually let Florida lead, but I feel like Florida should lead this one. Well, and I did see, you know, again, I think that there is paradox involved in Castro as much as there is any other human being alive. And it might be more extreme because he's um, one side was more extreme than the other. But, you know, I saw it interesting. Somebody posted of all these pictures of him and um, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking. I can Nelson Mandela. Apparently they were really good friends, which is not something that I expected to see. So um, I think that Fidel Castro, um, I think some of, one of some of the statements are trying to get at is that he, you know, embodied as much complexity as any other human being. He just ruined a lot of people's lives in the process. Yeah, he, he ruined lives. He forced families to make the horrific decision of having to put their children on rafts to come to the United States. I mean, while there is complexity in every person, he was a terrible dictator. Mm-hmm. And and I don't like to celebrate death. You know, I was talking to Dante about this. I tried to be very neutral when Osama bin Laden died because I don't want to be cheering on someone's death. Yeah. I also just want to recognize, though, that Osama bin Laden did terrible things and so did Fidel Castro. And I hope that this can be a, 
a cathartic moment for a lot of Cubans and a moment that precipitates some some healthy change in that well, country. Well, and like leave that complexity for books. It's not like yeah. it can't be contained in a press release or a status update. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. I had a really amazing um, conversation with somebody from the other side. I have a a man on my Facebook page named Clay who lives in Paducah, who's like sort of a really um, great guy, does heads up a lot of charitable giving in our town. And um, we, he, we just had, he was able to get under my skin more than any other person on Facebook. And I can keep it super chill on Facebook, but he was always able to sort of um, burrow and get right, to what bothered me or whatever it was. So, um, but we had, we were having an exchange after the election and he said, I don't remember how we got into it. I think it was something about like, maybe something about race and he was arguing. Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I shared this story about having a conversation with my stepdad. Also another conversation with somebody from the other side where I was trying to share my, frustrations with how I was treated differently as a woman candidate and he kept trying to argue me out of it and I said I know that you're just hurt that I'm treated unfairly and you want to fix it but what I really want you to say is I'm sorry that sucks I have no experience no idea what that's like and Clay said I'd like to hear more about that and I was like name the time and place now he is so sort of uh, infamous in progressive circles in Paducah that people are always like well, let's just go to coffee and deal with this and he always declines and um, he messaged me and said you know, if you've noticed, I always decline coffee dates with other people, but I um, I know that you, because I always fear to lecture, but I see that you are capable of having a calm conversation, and so let's do coffee. So we went to coffee, 
And we talked for like an hour and a half about, you know, politics and all these things. It was a super wonderful conversation. The most interesting thing that clarified something for me is that we were talking about the political spectrum in completely different ways. Like my political spectrum is communism on the left, fascism on the right, and let's see what falls in them where we are within that spectrum. His political spectrum is about government control. So one end is zero government control, anarchy, and the other end is fascism and communism, total government control. So because he's a big liberty guy, he talks about liberty a lot. And so like it was so interesting to realize like our, I mean, if you're orienting yourself in completely different ways about the political spectrum, then that like changes a lot of the conversation once you understand that it's helpful. So that was really eye-opening to realize that we were sort of talking past each other on this major thing. And, you know, we we agreed on a lot of things. We disagreed on um, a lot of things. But I left feeling like I understood what I felt better. And I left feeling like um, I understood where he was coming from. He's also an engineer, so he just engages really completely differently than I do, um, which was, you know, easier to do in person than over Facebook. Um, but... Not surprisingly. So that was my my one really great exit the echo chamber. I had other ones, but that was my best experience. That's really cool. I mean, I love that. Th- that to me is like the entire spirit of it. Even if nobody changes anything, that's not really the point. But, but getting that different orientation and bringing some dimension beyond left, right, that's awesome. I didn't really have any kind of profound moments. Um, I read a lot of news from outside the United States, because I feel like in a lot of ways, my echo chamber tends to be really centered on our country. I do watch cable news. I do get into sort of the the drama of the day. And so I read about things happening in Kenya. I did a lot of research about the Middle East. I just tried to think beyond America for a little bit because I, my world is a lot of left-leaning people. It's not like I don't (laughs) engage with liberals every day. Um, So for me, I, I tried to take this in a little bit of a different direction. In part, I'm just sort of burnt out on the Trump Clinton conversation and burnout on sort of Republicans versus Democrats and burnout on my own party right now. So I, I took it a little differently. And it was great for me to think about the United States place in the world a little differently and just about everything going on that is not being discussed in my life every day. So we had some good feedback from listeners, too. Um, maybe we can just cover a couple of the highlights. I don't want to read a ton of messages, but I I liked hearing from people who were able to connect with family members in ways that mm-hmm. they hadn't before. Yeah, that was really positive. So first we had um, Bree write us about that her husband is a huge fan of the podcast and they did the challenge together, which I think is adorable. I don't I don't know if they were the same people. There was a, a couple that sent us a picture with their selfie together, and I don't know if that was her, Brie and her husband. But I think so. I think we had two Brie couples and, involved, oh, that would be I, even better. I think it's Brie and JJ. I think that's right. Okay. So uh, she is a huge Hillary supporter, and she had lost a good friend due to pl- political disagreements during the election, and she'd become very distant from her conservative friends. Um, it was having, you know, trouble finding any common ground at all. So for the Exit Chamber chamber Challenge, she talked to a lot of people who voted for Trump, and um, she says, I still don't like him, and I'm afraid of what he might do, but I'm grateful to understand how voiceless his supporters have felt for so long and how so many good and honest people have just felt forgotten by their government. That understanding humbled me enough to approach the friend I lost. I thought we'd never speak again, but we came to terms and we're friends again. It was amazing to see all the positive feedback. I talked to several Trump supporters and they felt so relieved just to be listened to. That's what this country really needs. I'm nervous about Trump's campaign, but much more optimistic about the future. I really do believe we come together and compromise. And thanks for showing me that. Happy Thanksgiving to you both. It reminds me of, I keep feeling so sad for Bryn. He keeps talking about people who kelt. Um, tell me, give this guy a chance. And so I just wanted to clarify that when I am asking people to, you know, stay faithful and hopeful, this is what I'm asking. Stay faithful and hopeful in people who supported Donald Trump, not like the alt-right racist people, the basket of deplorables, which I'm going to use unapologetically, but um, the people who just really want to be listened to, like don't lose faith in them. I am never asking anybody to have faith that Donald Trump is a good human being because I think I'm beyond that at this point. But um I think that 
staying faithful and hopeful and being willing to listen to people who maybe didn't vote the same way as you do. It reminds me a lot of, um, our, I think his name is Arlie Rothschild, the woman who wrote the, I think she wrote the second shift and she's written, she's written a new book after she lived like five years in deep Louisiana with Tea Party supporters. And it's just all about the story, you know, and she, she was talking about how she listened to this woman who said, you know, how much she loved uh, Rush Limbaugh when he shouted down feminazi and, you know, and everything in her brain said, turn it off, shut it off. Don't listen. This person's horrible. But as she said, oh, really, why do you feel like that? And she just, you know, she's a, um anthropologist, so she wanted to understand it better. And she said, well, he sticks up for me. I feel like he's defending me. And she just developed this deeper understanding of where people were coming from. And she, this woman was clearly so happy that somebody was listening to her instead of hearing um, superficially what she said and putting her in a box, which nobody likes. There are two things that I feel in response to the give Trump a chance, which I also am not saying or don't intend to say. And and then also the, the people who said, you know, this challenge is too soon for me. I can't do it. And again, you do you and I understand that. And that's that's totally fine. Where I want to be is a place of introspection. And I never want to lose the ability to critically see what's in front of me. So our listener, Brianna, asked us what we think about the term angry optimist. (laughs) And I think that's kind of great because anger is not a very productive emotion for me personally. I think it is for other people. Yeah. But I want to come from a place of skepticism about everyone, but also willingness to see moments of light. And I think that if I get so buried in this is horrible, he's awful, everything is over, I'm not going to be able to see those moments of light. I'm also not going to be able to learn anything. It reminds me of how I grew up in this area, a very rural area, and the school that I went to for the longest time did not have air conditioning. I didn't have an air conditioned classroom until I went to high school. And there were times when we could not learn because it was so hot. It just was. It was too hot to learn anything. And I think that that can happen to us as adults from an emotional perspective. We just get too hot to learn anything. And I don't want to be there. So I am definitely not saying exit the echo chamber so that you can change your mind, so that you can become a Republican, so that you can think Donald Trump is great, or so that you can think Hillary Clinton's great if you're on the other side of the spectrum. It's more just don't get too hot to learn anything. Well, and I think that for me, that can mean lots of things. Like, I was despondent on Tuesday night because I had I had bought the narrative that Donald Trump will destroy our democracy so heavily that I thought, oh, my God, our country might come to an end. I was despondent. I don't ever want to feel like that again. And I realized, like, in my deep care for my country, I also lost sight of my deep faith in our country and the fact that we have faced some, you know, truly terrible presidents, lazy, intellectually lazy, you know, they got to, hopefully, because their impact is so small, many of them get lost to the annals of history. But you know, some of them's impact weren't so small. Thomas Jefferson, not a great guy, you know, like not comparing him to Donald Trump, but like when you learn about these people as individuals, they had, you know, real character flaws. Some of them were not that smart and we survived. And, you know, I think for me, that's where when I'm like pushing for hope and optimism, it's just, it's more, it's more just like a historical perspective. Like I just need to to zoom out a little bit. I need to get, I need to zoom out and not be so focused on right now. And that's what exit the echo chamber helps me with. Like I just, I got to zoom out a little bit, not just on Donald Trump and his impact and you know what we face in the past, but also on individual people who support him and um, just zooming out a little bit to remember that they're more than just their support of Donald Trump. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, 
And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I think that Allison summarized some of what I'm talking about in her message. Allison is left-leaning, and she said that she listened to some conservative media and was really disheartened because she said that for, for all media that takes a side, left or right, the attitude is so combative. We're right, they're wrong, we're better, they're stupid, we're superior, they're morally bankrupt, and here's why. And I could not agree more with that characterization of media from both sides. And I don't want to have a discussion of equivalency because I don't think that's productive. I think it's doing the same thing on this point. And and she said, you know, where can I find commentary from from neutral sources if that exists or at least where there's an open discussion? And I think that's a hard question. Um, you know, for me, a, a lot of trying to get that is just diving into all of the biased sources and trying to surround myself with, for me personally, with a lot of left-leaning sources so that I can really understand what that perspective looks like. And I do hear a lot of you're stupid and morally bankrupt in those sources, but I just try to choose not to engage with that because I don't find that helpful either. Again, I just I just always want to stay, and I'm not always successful at this. I'm probably mostly not successful at this, but I want to stay open enough to question my own perspective, to question the perspectives of people who I like and support in public office. You know, I never want to be able to, I don't want to be incapable of criticizing someone who I think is great. And I don't want to be incapable of praising someone who I think is not great. 
You know what I just realized, though? I think it's so funny because I was just thinking about the way you consume, particularly like you're talking about the cable news and reading that kind of stuff. Like we've talked about in the past how I like information, like just bury me in it. I like a lot of input and you usually are like, "Mm, no, but see, like, I think that's a lot of emotional input. I could not, I am not capable of doing that. I am not capable of listening to the, you're stupid, combative, that sort of, um, I can't, I get even frustrated with a lot of like progressive groups I'm in when people get really on Facebook, like when they get really yelly and combative and they're terrible and I would never, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like I can't even do that. Like the emotional, um, aspects of those sort of that bipartisan polarization, just because it's so antithetical to, um, what we're trying to do here and what I believe is a person like. I mean, I've said this before, when it was my job to have cable news on at my desk, I couldn't do it. Like, I just, five minutes of it sends me directly over the edge. It feels less like input and more like observation to me, and maybe that's the difference. Because I think people are fascinating. I think people's emotions are fascinating. I think the way people, I think what you just said is fascinating, right? Like, I just think people are interesting. Oh, but it's just like, it's like watching a reality show. Like, like I, there was a great This American Life where they went through a podcast, um like a Republican or conservative podcast where one guy didn't like Trump and the other two were, and they were like always trying to get at him. And they did a really great coverage of a conservative guy who, who held this never Trump line. Like I think it's not that I am opposed to perspectives, but it's like, I want a real, I want you to cover it in a real way. And it's like nothing they ever do is real. It's just all, it's all the bachelor politics edition, highly edited, ridiculous, like, ugh, I don't know. Sorry. I think I'm going that, off on a cable news rant. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think that there is an element, though, of that production in This American Life, too. It's just a different kind of production. And what's real is not always what's poignant. There, There is a lot of reality mm-hmm. for... Uh, yeah, but I can't understand people in the world through the lens only of the kind of production that This American Life does. I want to understand them that way. I think that's an important piece of it. People interact in life the way they interact on cable news sometimes as well. And I want to understand that too. And it's and, and also there's, for me, just a reality of like, I have so much time in the day. And so I can turn on cable news in my car or on the television while I'm brushing my teeth and get some information. Right. And so that that's another thing that I mean about like the sources. We need all sources to be good sources because... They fit into life differently. Well, but don't you think that there's a per- certain like aspect of, and I do think this is relevant to exit the echo chamber because I think cable news is so representative of the echo chamber. But like if the, the, I have no problem. That's why I like the skim. Like I have no problem that people have, you know, a small amount of time. Not everybody can be a political rat and nor should they be um, or a news rat and just can have time to consume it in a, in an in, in death way. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But it just seems to me that the way in which cable news, you know, the profit-driven, soundbite-motivated type of coverage perpetuates false narratives, perpetuates, um, you know, how are we ever going to get the kind of coverage you want through that format? I just don't know how that's possible. I think that there can be really good reporting done on television. I think there can be... Honestly, the profit motive should provide a plethora of resources to bring to really good journalism. That's not happening right now, but the opportunities there. Absolutely, well, the opportunities there. No, I mean there. the profit-driven, like, that's how we got Donald Trump. It's because it brought viewers, because it was a sideshow, and they knew on cable news that that's why people would tune in. And they, they've admitted they gave him way too much coverage in the primary when he didn't deserve it. Um, that's not limited to cable news, though. No. but I just Everybody think, like, fed from that buffet. I think the, the, I don't have any problem with sort of like nightly news in which we are, we've taken some time, we've decided what's most important, we're going to prioritize it, we're going to fit it within this time slot. But when you have to fill 24 hours, yeah, you're going to spend way too much time on Kellyanne Conway and you're going to, you know, you can fill a lot with an echo, right? Like you can fill a lot of time with an echo. You don't need an echo in a 30 minute news broadcast or a 30 minute podcast or, you know, like, it, but when you're filling 24 hours, yeah, you're gonna have to repeat yourself. It's gonna have to be an echo. I think that's, I think there's still a decision to repeat yourself. I mean, there is enough going on in the world to cover. We just don't cover it. Yeah. 
But that's because people don't want to watch it. Right. And that's that's my point. Like, let's demand better news and let's be better consumers of information. And I don't feel defensive in any way of cable news. It mostly is garbage. (laughs) It's but it's helpful. I don't know. We got a chicken egg person here. I don't know how we a chicken egg problem. Like, I don't know. I think it's too much to expect people driven by profit motive to be the, the, you know, to give the better coverage. Like what comes first, people demanding the better coverage or them giving the better coverage and people seeing like it helps. Like, you know, I don't know how, I don't know. Cable news has been around a long time. Nothing's changed. It's only gotten worse. Well, look, a lot of that is reflective of demand. And so I think that's, a, to me, a great result of Exit the Echo Chamber is people saying to us, where can I get better news? That's yeah. a good result. We also had two quite, you know, I want to point out two in a positive note. We had Maggie who wrote a really beautiful letter to her mother about um, their um, conflict over abortion, particularly partial birth abortion. It was one of the most, like, I was crying by the end. It was so thoughtful and so um, vulnerable and very, like, I'm trying desperately to see where you are. I'm giving you any, every bit. I mean, she checked off every single one of your boxes and how to talk to family members about politics. And it was really beautiful. So well done, Maggie. And we also had a a listener who, I don't remember her name, Beth, but who did the, the amazing empathy map about Elizabeth. Oh, that was quality work right there. It was. And she did it with her family. So, you know, if you didn't participate in the challenge now, all the stuff's on our website. Go back some time and see how it feels to you. And you can do it in any way. But I I really appreciated hearing from everyone. It was it was awesome. So next up in the heels, Thanksgiving's over and it's the holiday season. 20 million American families, one out of every four renters are squeezed by the high cost of housing. And unfortunately, we haven't heard much about this issue in the current election cycle. That's where Make Room comes in. Make Room is an organization that gives a voice to struggling renters and elevates rental housing issues for our representatives. So affordable housing is something that affects everybody. And if you go to makeroomusa.org, you can learn more about this public crisis, some of the solutions, and read stories of those affected. But more importantly, you can actually send a direct message to your local and state representative or your members of Congress demanding that they pay attention to this very important issue. And this is really in the spirit of Pantsuit Politics, getting involved, letting people know what issues are not getting the attention they deserve. Make Room is committed to sending one million messages to Congress so that they get the picture. We hope you'll go to makeroomusa.org to make your voice be heard. Did you do anything following Thanksgiving to transition to the December holidays? Um, the best part... No, let me rephrase this. The worst part about being an American is Thanksgiving. Before everybody gets upset, I love the holiday itself. But I had never thought about this until my cousin went to Europe. Um, They get to do Christmas for like two months because they don't have Thanksgiving interloping between Halloween and Christmas. So I rarely wait till after Thanksgiving because I want some more Christmas in my life. And I was unapologetically wanting more Christmas in my life after this election. So I'd been listening to Casey Musgrave's new holiday album. It's a very Casey Christmas. It's amazing. So um, after Thanksgiving, though, my husband usually, and he's indoctrinated my eldest child into his um, ridiculous no Christmas music till after Thanksgiving um, approach to life. But I pushed it a little hard this year. So I got some Christmas music. And then after Thanksgiving, it was just all the way. We've got Christmas trees up. My favorite holiday event is was last um, the Sunday, previous Sunday. It's called the Advent Walk in my town. And we go through... Um, we go to a Catholic church, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church, a Episcopal church and a Baptist church. And the Episcopal church is my church. And we walk and we have like a 15, 20 minute little service with song and some reading. And then we walk to the next church and the next church and the next church. And it is a beautiful candlelit ceremony at each church. And it's just a beautiful, um, start to the holiday season. So we did that and it's my, it's my favorite kickoff. We'll be getting our our real Christmas tree this week. And then it's just Christmas on all fronts. We did lots of Christmas too. I'm in the same place. I just, I love Christmas. I think Thanksgiving is okay and necessary and something to be survived, but (laughs) I really, really enjoy Christmas. So we made gingerbread houses. We went to Festival of Lights at the Cincinnati Zoo, which is amazing. We put our trees up. It's been really, really fun. So I'm looking forward to present wrapping and services and 
family get-togethers. I think it's going to be great. So uh, let's do a listener shout-out just because I enjoy Christmas music immensely. I might have over 400 Christmas songs in my holiday library, including, I counted this weekend, 17 versions of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which is my favorite Christmas song because it makes me cry. Surprise. Um, So if you guys share your favorite uh, holiday music on Facebook and Twitter because that would be – that just brings joy to my life. That, That request is based on nothing more than it would make me happy. Well, it would also make us happy to hear from you via email and on social media this week. We hope that everyone has a great week coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday. I feel like it's always difficult this time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas where we're trying to be adults, but we really just want to celebrate the holiday. So good luck with that. And (laughs) until we talk with you again on Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all. 